Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with New York City-based jazz bassist, composer, and band leader Ben Wolf. He talked openly about his new 2023 album called Unjust, a stellar follow-up to his critically acclaimed 2019 release called Fatherhood. Unjust celebrates the striking interplay between multiple ensembles driven by the same steadfast rhythm section. It features an incredible lineup with the likes of trumpeter Nicholas Payton, saxophonist Emmanuel Wilkins, and Nicole Glover, vibraphonist Joel Ross, great pianists like Oren Evans and drummer Aaron Kimmel. Ben leads several distinctive ensembles featuring top jazz veterans and up-and-coming young talents presented in a range of formats. From quartet to sextet, featuring trumpet, saxophone, and vibraphone, Ben's all over the place. He's prolific. Enjoy this interview. Right away, man. Yeah. I appreciate you doing this, man. This is awesome. This is the first song I've done for this record. Oh, cool, man. Well, you know, before we get into the album, which I love, and I've already had it's already going to be on the show this week. I, I want to know, you know, how did you survive COVID, you know? And, and, you know, now that you've got an album coming out, live shows are happening, talk to me a little bit about surviving that time and what it feels like to have an album coming out right now at the beginning of the year. Well, musically speaking, productive during COVID as far as doing gigs. I, I wrote a lot of music and I recorded a lot of music. I did actually six sessions recording sessions at Power Station Studios, like, it, like two days each time, so three two-day sessions. And I, I recorded about two and a half hours of music, which I was originally going to try to put out as one gigantic document, but it became way... Once it was all recorded, it was just too much to figure that out. I, I, so I changed my mind. But I recorded a uh, two extended works, one with strings and one without, both like cramp pieces I wrote, like 30 to 40-minute pieces. And then the third two-day session was what became the record Unjust. So I was doing all of that during the COVID, writing, arranging, contacting musicians, figuring out when we can record, that, that kind of thing. So I was very busy with that. I wasn't working gigs, obviously, but I was doing a lot of stuff, you know, teaching online and, and practicing a lot. So it was productive that way. And just, to be, you know, I felt very fortunate to be able to go through that and be able to be productive versus I'm aware of very many people were suffering and all that kind of stuff. I felt very thankful that I even had the opportunity to be able to get through it that way. But I did and wrote a lot of music. So this, this record was recorded during that time. And this album, Unjust, has a power lineup. I mean, what a wonderful group of cats to make music with. Talk to me a little bit about how it all came together into the final product that's right now. Yeah, well, uh, Nicholas Payton, who I've known, I don't know, he might have been 15. I've known him a long time. We played a lot, to, well, not, we played a good amount together in the 90s with the Jazz Lincoln Center. Mm -hmm. Later on, when I started doing my yearly run at Dizzy's, I had him as a special guest uh, with me several times. I played three times, maybe four times. But I never recorded with him on one of my records. So this was the opportunity to do that. In fact, um, the tune on there was called Bob French, we played that the first year I played at Dizzy as a leader, well, first, as far as doing Four Nights. And we played that too, and I'm getting played it since. So, so, I, so I have a history with Nicholas. It, this is a great opportunity to use him on a, a record. It's like the perfect record for him, and it, it, was, it was special having him. And um, a lot of other musicians on there I have a history with as well. You know, Oren Evans, we've done a lot of stuff together. He's on, on my last... I don't know, three or four records maybe. 
he's only on a couple of tunes this time, but I always bring in, in the record before fatherhood, he's on half of it. And like, we don't play together a lot like we used to, but we're very good friends and we have a musical relationship as well as being close friends. So he makes sense, particularly on the ballad he played on. It was like, he was the perfect person for that, that song. Uh, Joel Ross and Emmanuel Wilkins, they've been, we've been, I've been playing with them now for several years as well on some recordings and gigs. And now they're so busy, I get them when I can for certain things. So I've been, and um, the drummer, I play with him all the time now. He's, he's in my band, and we play together a lot. And he was a big part of this record. He's very subtle, but he's the only person that plays on every song besides me. And I've known him a long time as well. So I have a history with all the people. Uh, Nicole Glover, the first time I ever played with her was on one of those grand pieces I recorded. I just... We grew up in the same hometown at different times. She's much younger than me, but I knew about her, and I just knew she would be great. I had never played with her before, though, until I recorded with her, and my hunch was, was correct. And her vibe in the studio is, is so special. So It's like the only word that comes to mind immediately with her is poise. She's so poised and has no ego, almost. It's almost like she's really humble but strong at the same time. It's, it's very special. So everyone's like that on the record. Who, who I leave out? Um, the piano player, Addison Fry. We had just recorded a trio record prior to that session, a few months earlier, his record. And um, the thing about him is he's on a, I think he's on two or three songs. He could play a very particular way things that I needed. Like we did one of the tracks, I think it's the, uh, it is the last track on the record. It's like a complete homage to um, George Shearing. So I needed someone who could play like George Shearing, but still be themselves. Like, he's great at that kind of stuff. So he was, he was there for a very particular reason. I think I mentioned it, something about that in the liner notes. So it was a special gathering. And, and the engineer, Todd Whitelock, I, is my favorite. I use him when I can. I love the studio, the way we record. It all just, I just tried to do things a certain way and try to find the right people who would buy into it and hope for some magic, basically. We didn't rehearse, we just went in there and played through each tune and then recorded it. So you've been at this jazz game for a long time. What, uh, how did it all begin for you? How did this, the magic begin, and how did the seeds of jazz get in you? Uh, my father was a musician. He, he played in a symphony, the San Antonio Symphony, for one season, then quit music. But he loves music, and he also lo he loved jazz music. And when I started playing in seventh grade, he played me a lot of jazz records. And so it sort of that probably was that was the first I learned about it was from him. And he he put, he played me Billy Holiday, he played me Paul Chambers, he played me Monk, he played me Lester Young, he played me Count Basie. You know, he he put he played me Duke Ellington. He played me. He had a display record collection, and he would play me records when I was a kid. So that had a lot to do with it. And also, he was very, when he saw that I was serious, he was very honest with me and very critical in a positive way I'm not, I, that I liked anyway. <laughs> you know, he was very hard on me when he saw that I was serious. So he had a lot to do with um, the way I view music because he was not really someone who cared about, uh, now he passed away. My last record was for him, Fatherhood. But he, he was very much into the purity of music. He, he didn't care about showing off playing a lot of notes to impress people. He, he really was into this very, the beauty of it, which I think I got that from him. You know, I'm less interested in show business than trying to create some uh, art. 
which is to me more important, not to try to sound lofty or anything, you know what I mean? But I struggle with that a lot because there's always that like, it's seductive to play for the crowd and get applause and all that. But I, that's, but I, in the studio, you don't have that, which I love. I love there's no, it's just you and your bandmates, the engineers and the studio and the music. That's it. There's no false excitement which I'm a fan of. And that's the kind of thing my dad would, would like too, I think. So what has been the key to your longevity? You've been at this for a while. You've been around a lot of cats. What is it that motivates you, that makes you go and continue to elevate and evolve in this craft of jazz? Well, that's a good question. I don't really view it that way. It's just what I do, man. I've been, when I first started playing music as a kid, I didn't know you could do it just for fun. I just thought once you start playing, you're now a musician. So I didn't even know until I was like a sophomore in high school that other people in the band didn't want to be professionals. I didn't even know there was an option. <laughs> but uh, as far as longevity, I just it's just what I do, man. So I've been doing it so long. I turned 60 last summer, and I've been a professional musician since I was a teenager. So I, mean, I just try to get better every day and try to create good music. You know, lately, the last couple of years, I've been focused on trying to be a band leader. I'm, I'm not taking a whole lot of sideman gigs i'd rather use the time to practice or to try to book gigs for the band so i spend that's more where i'm at now but i mean it's, it's just what i do man that's how i look at it I'm not, I'm not really thinking in terms of longevity though i've been doing it for a long time and i've been very fortunate you know looking back it, it it always looks different in retrospect i mean when i first moved to new york there was a period of time at one point I felt like I'm never going to get a gig with anyone. I'm never going to do anything. It was like, but I was so young. I was like, I only been in New York for three years. I've been here for three years. I'm not doing anything. That's what I felt like. But it wasn't really like that. I was, I was working. and So it's just, you know, I try to get better every day. I, I look at it like I try to play as best I can versus try to, try to like appeal to people or something. But, but at the same time, when I am the side man, side person, uh, I try to be professional about it. I, I'm, a, I'm a believer in professionalism as well as art. My next question to you is, you know, you're, you're on the forefront, especially with this lineup of cats here, you know, the, the cutting edge of, of modern jazz. And, you know, this pandemic was kind of a gut punch to the community, but Definitely. it seems like it's coming back stronger than ever. What's your, what's your general feel about the state of jazz and the players in jazz, the community? in America in 2023? Well, that's a, yeah, I'm not even sure how to answer that. Uh, I mean, th th there's a lot of times the words used, but the music sounds like something else, so it gets confusing. And it's hard to talk about without sounding like I'm putting stuff down. But I, I feel like a lot of times, a lot of music, they, they, they love, or people love, if they use it, the term jazz, because it, I guess there's some cachet to it but they're playing music that sounds like something else. I'm not saying it's not good music. It just sounds like something else. So I think there's, a, there's marketing stuff around, around the uh, terms and the categories, which creates sometimes tension between musicians. And so I, I kind of try to avoid that and just try to make good music. But as far as swinging music, I think there are people trying to do it. I wish there were more. I wish there were more. I mean, I'm not a, you know, I, I believe in swinging, man, and, you know, playing music within the lineage 
you know, Louis Armstrong, Charlie Parker, John Cole, you know, through all, you know, all that, that, the sound of it. I like the sound of acoustic music. You know, I don't use an amplifier. I like acoustic piano. You know, so for me, I, I try to play the music I believe in. But at the same time, I'm not, I'm not trying to make other people do different things. But as far as the state of jazz, I, 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 don't, I don't really know. It's hard to say. Because, you know, it's a hard question to answer without going into yeah. a big wormhole. Because there's no, always people that are successful, which that's great for them. But a lot of times success can mean different things. It can mean you're having, you're getting a lot of press, you're selling a lot of records, or it could mean you got a band that sounds really good and can't get any good, but you got to sound great. They're different versions of success, so it's, it's tricky, man. But I, I love seeing young players do well. You know, like, uh, like for instance, Joel Ross, Emmanuel Wilkins, who are both on the record, they're having these great careers. And they're great guys, and they're great musicians. But what they do in their band is completely different, completely different than what I do in my group. But they love being there with me. So I, I love that about them. There's no, we have no, you know, arguments about what's jazz, what isn't jazz, or why are you guys doing this? Why are you playing a backbeat? Or it, it's very cool. So I, I like the idea of it being one community versus like warring factors. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. I like it. You hit a lot of points that I was going to follow up on with that. And I'm, my next question to you is everyone has a perception or an idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, that you live your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am, man? I, I don't know. M musically, I'm just trying to play good, man. I, I, I like ensemble music. I like it not being about the individual. I'm a, I'm a lover of the sound of a group. The challenge of being able to, to like, not make yourself more important than the other players, which goes against the natural inclination. Because since you're playing, it's hard not to focus on you. So I like to, I, I'm, I'm about, I'm about ensemble music. So that's who I am. Someone who's about ensemble music. How can the band sound good? What can we do together? You know, and I really believe in that stuff, you know, and I'm human. I show off and I do want people to like me, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, I'm about, you know, the sound of the group, what that represents and what, what it requires to have it work. You hear the great bands, man, it's, what makes them sound great to me is how well they play together. Yes, you can listen to each instrument, of course, but the overall sound is tremendous and, and original and personal and all that. that that's what I, that's, that's kind of what I think about often. So Ben, if anyone out there wants to pick up the new album, find out about any of your shows, anything pertaining to your world, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, BenWolf.com, B-E-N-W-O-L-F-E.com. And the record's coming out officially on February 3rd, but there's the pre-release and like the first single came out yesterday. And you know, I you, you can there all the spots. You know, it's gonna be on all the it's gonna be on all the uh, places, Amazon, iTunes, the whole the whole tree of places. It'll be on all of them. But right now, you you can get it, or you can you can you can sample the first song. I believe it's on iTunes or Apple Music. Beautiful, Ben. Man, this has been great. Thank you for opening up. Thank you for being honest and raw about not only the album but your life and music. I really appreciate it, man. 
Man, thanks for having me. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Ben for his time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on either iTunes or Spotify. Find Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.